0: He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. Do you think entrepreneurs can learn that without experiencing it or do you think we have to experience it in order to actually learn that lesson? Yeah, I mean, I think entrepreneurs by
1: design are pretty stubborn, right? You know, that's the whole reason why we don't want to take orders from other people. So if if we, you know, we'll tell you all day long, right? We want to learn from your mistakes because we don't want to make the same mistakes, but if it if we didn't come up with that idea, Most entrepreneurs are like, well, it just didn't work for them because they probably didn't do it right. And then we go and we do it. We're like, oh, wait, that really just didn't work. So um, I think if you can just get check the ego at the door and really work on aligning yourself with someone that.
0: You're listening to Slick Talk, The Hospitality Podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, The Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. What's up slick talkers in this episode, I sit down with Kyle Stanley and we go into his whole journey of how he bought his first property, flipped it, loved it, did it again and got into short term rentals. And now is almost at 70 properties with a mixed portfolio of ownership, co-hosting, and of course, arbitrage. And now so the reason why this episode was super special for me was cuz I got to meet Kyle and his wife Gracie in Nashville when we attended the short-term rental wealth conference and let's just say it was like we hit it off from the beginning been friends forever and got to know them really well and just had this personal connection with Kyle and wanted to talk to about you know talk to him about his journey. I think entrepreneurs in our space are super fascinating especially when they get to a certain size and scale. That we don't get to really see, we see a lot of the coaching stuff, we see a lot of his podcasts, or we see a lot of the success. But I want to hear kind of the journey. What were the shifts? What were the 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 challenges, the hurdles that had to be overcome in order to get to this point? And you know, for for anyone who's listening or watching, I think that if you can grab anything from any of these episodes and these interviews, that it would be that you know, there's so many people that out there that have overcome so many challenges in their life. They may not be life or death and and all these other things, but you know, as humans, we have that inner core, that soul that calls and yearns for something. And when we find that passion and, and go for it and take off to be able to create this life that we can enjoy. And as you'll hear in this episode, it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. So um, I just find it very enlightening and just super exciting as a podcaster and host um, and entrepreneur myself. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you all again next week. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of slick talk, the hospitality podcast. And I'm super excited to have Kyle Stanley, the man, the myth, the legend, the fearless investor. Join me on the podcast today, Kyle. How are we doing, my man? I'm good, man. I'm stoked
1: to be on here with you. We've talked about it for a while, finally. Doing the dang thing, though. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I'm super pumped. After getting to meet you and Gracie in Nashville at the STR Wealth Conference, uh, I feel like we've become very close friends. And like you said uh, on our podcast with uh, your show, I feel like a a brother connection coming I'm like, yes. So uh, I might might look like your dad, but I feel like a brother. (laughs) <laughs> hey, look like my dad, feel like a brother's, as long as it's in the family, you know? Um, yeah, you. yeah. And so also got to uh, connect while you uh, were out here in Denver for a little bit, going off to a mastermind in Breckenridge, uh, which looked awesome, by the way, your guys' uh, Instagram content was awesome around that. But before we get into all this stuff that you're currently doing, I want you to kind of give yourself an introduction to the audience from kind of how you even got into the industry. What's your background look like? And where does your story really begin? Yeah, I went to college exactly for what I'm doing today. Nah. Okay. Uh, <laughs>
1: so, uh, who who actually goes to college and does what they say they're going to do uh, these days? I, I started off uh, thinking I was going to be a sports anchor. I was a, a, actually a broadcast journalism major um, and came out basically saying, hey, I'm going to be the next ESPN sports anchor. I'm going to be the, uh, the next, uh, you know, play by play guy for the Chicago Cubs. I'm a huge Cubs fan, (laughs) but, um, found out very quickly that it's, um, not, not quite the industry that I, I expected it to be, um, for a couple of reasons. One, your first job out of college, I'm getting paid $19,500 and I'm like, okay, that's not ideal, but, um, I can try to make that work. And And uh, then you start meeting all these people in the industry and a couple things in in common. They're all very negative, very bitter. Um, And it's really because it's a local TV station, you know, it's kind of redheaded stepchild is what sports is all about. You know, we were, we literally were the last thing on the, on the, uh, the show. So they were giving us very little credit, very little, um, time. And so for that reason, you kind of feel like you're just a, a sore thumb, you know, out there in this industry and for that reason as well, I was meeting a lot of guys who were sports anchors for 10, 15, 20 years and still making only 60 to $80,000 a year. And I was just like, man, like, you know, I love sports. It's a passion, but just because it's a passion doesn't mean I have to get paid for it. Like, what if yeah. I instead did something else, made enough money to then be able to go and and go to any sporting event that I want? And that appealed to me a lot more, but I, I kind of got this idea of, well, if I don't want to take you know uh if I don't want to take all these demands from other people, I think what we call that as an entrepreneur, I should start my own business right and mm-hmm. so I started a business um that was also in the sports industry, but helping athletes get recruited to play in college um, which felt like it was you know a little bit more fulfilling because I was helping people but that uh you know I was twenty three years old when I started that and I uh, didn't have a mentor didn't understand the importance of a mentor, just kind of figured I'll get the bumps and bruises along the way I'll figure it out and and then eventually be able to have a successful business. But unintentionally I created a very low ceiling in that business, followed by a lot, a lot of work and a lot of man hours and without the ability to scale it. And so, uh, you know, but you have all this pride and you have all this ego, right? When you start a business and you leave something that everyone thinks you're really good at, everyone could not believe that I left the the news industry to start a business. So I wanted to prove everyone wrong. I wanted to prove them wrong that like, hey, I. I should start a business. I should be an entrepreneur. And so I, I held on to that dream a little bit too long. Um, I, sh- I should have seen the writing on the wall with that business and changed things or shut it down a little bit sooner than I did. But um, after six years, finally shut it down, got into multi-level marketing, which um, I'm really still grateful for today because it helped me to really start looking at working on myself and the understanding of education and mentorship is so vital to your success. And I uh, did that for a little bit and then eventually uh when my dad became um ill with bone cancer i did a really hard look at my life and said you know if is anything that i'm doing truly leading towards passive income and the ability to not only be a provider for my family my future family but also be there with my time and the answer really was no and the only thing i could really think of that would make the most sense was real estate so i started flipping yeah. houses with the idea of i'll make a bunch of money i'll go buy some rentals and that second that I did uh, ended up turning into a short term rental because I just wanted to see how it would go, and uh, here we are, sixty five plus properties later, three years later, and um, most of them we don't even own, so it's it's yeah. kind of wild. But that journey, just you know, I, I kind of went where the need was at that point, and that's where where it's led me,
0: for sure. And uh, before we go into your Airbnb, your short term rental, real estate side of things, uh, you kind of mentioned that you kind of gave yourself a ceiling with your first business. Um, from helping the college athletes, you know, can you explain more or less like what was the model for what you guys were doing and what, what roadblock ended up having to be hit for you to realize that you guys were kind of capping yourself out at potential revenue and, and just everything else that you're like, cause obviously this business that you're in now is so different. You're, you're making incredibly great income from passive rental, you know? So
1: yeah, Yeah. I'm just curious on this. I think um, the biggest thing, and it's unintentional because when you're, young, you know, 23 years old and I'm like, you know, I just, I just want clients. I just want to get paid and I just want to prove that I can actually do what I say I'm going to do. A lot of people start asking you, well, okay, you do video, but do you also make a profile? Do you also connect with college coaches? And so my answer was, uh, well, yeah, we can do that, you know, and then, and then I had to go figure out how to do that. And then instead of just staying in my lane, I was trying to go to the right and the left and stay in and, and trying. I was spreading myself way too thin and I didn't I didn't know how to charge for that. And I didn't realize the amount of hours. And so I think that all came from not having a clear vision of where we wanted to go with the business. Um, now, today, I I understand. What it means to be clear in your vision. Like, I know I, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. Like, I get opportunities sent my way all the time. I know if I was 23 years old again, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it because I just, I didn't have that end goal in mind. But now today, it's like, okay, if I do that thing, here's what, here's the amount of time it's going to take me. And now it's like, well, I, that's not my goal though. My goal is not to make more money. My goal is to have more time freedom. And, and so I know what to say yes to and what to say no to because I know what the end goal is. Um, and I just didn't have an end goal in mind when I first started that business. I just wanted to make money. And uh, I always say, if you aim big, you're gonna miss big. And I miss big on that. Now I'm aiming small. And if I miss small, then
0: I'm still in the same lane. Do you think entrepreneurs can learn that without experiencing it? Or do you think we have to experience it in order to actually learn that lesson?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think entrepreneurs by design are pretty stubborn right you know that's the whole reason why we don't want to take orders from other people so if if we you know we'll tell you all day long right we want to learn from your mistakes because we don't want to make the same mistakes but if it if we didn't come up with that idea most entrepreneurs are like well it just didn't work for them because they probably didn't do it right and then we go and we do it we're like oh wait that really just didn't work so um i think if you can just get check the ego at the door and really work on aligning yourself with someone that and like make sure you're with the right person too because that's when it gets gray like if i if i want to have you as a mentor will and you don't know anything about youtube but you know everything about podcasts and then i'm probably not going to take that youtube advice from you right and now i got to start figuring things out on my own whereas like if if i know i only want podcast help i'm going to go to you and i don't have to figure out like okay is is, his advice good or not So understand who your mentor is. And it's okay to have multiple mentors. I have mentors in my life who are business, who are real estate related, who are uh, family, uh, faith, you know, all all over the place. I have different mentors. um, And I just decide that they become my mentors because I know that where they are in their life and for that one thing that I need help with, uh, that's where I want to
0: be. For sure. I love that. And You talked about the multi-level marketing stuff, and that's where you really learned the mentorship, the coaching type mentality. Was there anything in particular for you from coming from like the sports broadcasting space to then getting into your real estate and flipping and now Airbnb, short-term rentals? What were, I guess, some bigger mindset shifts that you had to make from lessons that you either learned from your multi-level marketing side or just even mentors that you've met along the way? Was there any mindset shifts you had to do in order to get to where you are? Yeah, I had to start reading again. I was reading up on how companies like our sponsors at Jetstream are helping real estate investors like Kyle and others around the world streamline their operations with guest communication, dynamic revenue management, And of course, taking care of everything on the hospitality front while allowing operators like Kyle and his team to take care of everything on the ground. So if you haven't already heard of Jetstream, go ahead to jetstreamtech.io and mention that you heard them on Slick Talk and they'll give you three months free of their services. A great company. I had Emmanuel and Mike both on the podcast and I definitely highly recommend their service and their technology and their team. Back to the episode.
1: I wasn't feeding my mind with anything. They it's it's so true too what you know the uh you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. I'd take it one step further and just say, you know, you're the average of, you know, what you're listening to on a daily basis whether that's a person or uh radio or music or a podcast or whatever. Um I I hadn't voluntarily read a book uh since I was gosh, I mean 9 10 years old and here I was jumping into multi-level marketing at 24 years old and everyone was like you know um read this book and do this and and listen to this podcast and i was just like i don't have time for that and yeah. then i started to realize every single person that was where i wanted to be was reading books and i was like okay i guess i'll and, and and just by doing that by by diving in i realized like i actually had a passion for self development and bettering myself, and for that reason, I was really interested in reading these books. I just didn't know until I cracked it open. Um, so that that's really transition uh, translated till to, to today. I don't read books anymore because I'm way too slow of a reader. I listen to them. I, I go into you know the gym. I pop in Audible. And now today, like one of the books I'm reading is called Necessary Endings. And I'm just you know that's where my like ideas are happening too. I hear something and I'm like, how can I implement that in my life right now? And that's, that was a huge
0: uh, growth moment for me that um, I I really still enjoy today. How do you, when you have an idea pop up like that, when you're at the gym, listening to an audible, listening to a podcast, how do you track it without forgetting? Like, how do you make sure that when, once you go shower, shave, get dressed, get right for the day, eat, do whatever your stuff is before you sit down and work or like do anything, how do you track it? Do you put it down into your phone? Do you make a mental note? Like, how do you make sure you don't forget that? That's my biggest thing. It's like, if I'm on the gym or on the treadmill at the gym and I'm listening to something, I'm like, oh, that's really good. If I don't write that yeah. down, it's probably gone. Yeah. A, uh, a while.
1: So I have two phones um, and, and one is a personal phone. One is a business phone. Um, so if it's something that's like, hey, I can implement this today. I'll just text it to my other phone so that it pops up as a notification. And then when I get back, like I'll take my personal phone to the gym so that I'm not distracted by work. And then when I get back to the my desk the next morning, there's that notification of like, oh, you know, uh, whatever it is, read this book or, you know, um jot down your 10 goals for the next 90 days, you know, whatever that is, I can I can accomplish that pretty quickly. But if it's like a project, then I'm gonna email it to myself and I mark it in my email as like personal notes. And once every month or so, I'm going into my personal notes folder in my email and saying, okay, what's some of the things that I haven't really implemented that I had as ideas that I'd like to be able to do? Um, another thing that really has changed my life has been, uh, I call it my my decision quadrant. So a lot of you probably do this or have heard of this, but it when you actually implement it, it will help you move the needle more in your business than anything that I've done to date and it's just a quadrant so you make a T uh, or or a plus sign on your paper or I have it on my my uh, whiteboard over here in my office. the top you go important, top right, not important um, on the other side vertically, you go urgent and then on the bottom not urgent. so you have four quadrants. One is important and urgent. The other one is important, but not urgent. The other one's urgent, but not important. And the other one is not important and not urgent. Right. And so now I can decide, Hey, this is something that if it's in the important and urgent quadrant, I have to get that done this week. So I I reset this thing every single Sunday um, so that I know Monday, what's my to do's for that week. And so if I have that idea at the gym, right, then it's like, Oh, I, I need to do that. It's going to go in the important and urgent. But if I'm like, hey, this is a cool project. Like right now I'm thinking, hey, it'd be nice to write a book, you know? So that's in my not important and not urgent section. It's just kind of a passion project that would be really fun to do. But it's still there and it's in front of me and it's reminding me every week that I don't take action on it, that it's like, oh, you haven't done anything with this probably should do something about that and and you'll also find that they they move boxes right because what was not urgent last week but was important is now both urgent and important this week and so uh that that's honestly been a game changer for how i how i schedule my day
0: and how i schedule my weeks uh i'm glad that uh i have another sunday friend who does stuff on sunday because i'm the same way like religiously sunday morning is my time coffee planning organizing i don't do the quadrant on a whiteboard but i do it within Asana. i have like a tagging system Sweet. and so projects or tasks move uh as they become either important and urgent or urgent and not important type you know stuff um but no it's really cool i i like the uh, two phone situation you're one of the few people that i know who has two phones so i always like think about it, like should i separate my personal and business probably should but that's always cool. It, uh, I mean
1: that that was the biggest. If if I can give you a life hack, well, that's the biggest <laughs> life hack I've ever done. I mean, uh, when when we have our phone in our pocket, right? Especially as entrepreneurs, even if that thing is on do not disturb mode, right? We still have to check the time every once in a while. We still have to see did I miss any texts? And what happens? We open up our phone and we see all these notifications, and we can't help but wonder. Even if it was just a voicemail from mom or from you know that one friend that you haven't talked to in two years, even though you don't listen to it or read it, it's now in your mind and it's taking up space in your mind. I my personal phone does not give me an opportunity to do that. The top twenty people in my life have that phone number. If it's an emergency, they call me. It does not have any sort of social media, so I can't get notifications on things that are meaningless. It allows me to be fully present. And um, I mean, that's yeah, that's that's and and but the same point. I have to create the boundaries of when do I put down that that work phone yeah. well so that i know okay after 5 p.m and on saturdays and sundays i'm not touching that work phone maybe on saturday or sunday just to check in maybe once in the middle of the day but that's about it
0: yeah no i love that that's super super important i think i'm gonna i'm gonna take note down to at&t and start talking to uh, to them about getting a business line or something uh i love that um so, okay, let's get into the flipping side. So you get into flipping, you turn your, your second rental in, or your second property into a rental mm-hmm. just to test the waters. What were the results of that test?
1: Oh, that was awesome. Um, so, you know, most of my business today has still been built by relationships. So just to kind of tell you how I got that deal. When I first started flipping, I knew I did not want to be knocking on doors. I didn't want to be going um and, and doing cold calling. Like That was just not the business that I wanted to develop. I wanted to have deals coming to me. And the easiest way to do that was to provide value to other people who I knew could eventually bring me deals. So I actually, that's why I actually started my podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, I decided to do that right after my first flip because I was like, Hey, if I can create relationships and add value to someone like, um, you know, a couple of friends of mine, um, one, his name is John, he's here in town. He does close to a million dollars of flips every year. If he has a deal that he doesn't want and it doesn't have have enough meat on the bones, I probably want that because I don't have as many deals as he he does coming in. So I'm gonna invite him on my podcast, bring him a bunch of value. Oh, by the way, can you bring me a deal if it doesn't look like it's good for you? That's kind of how I built my business. So the second deal I ever did was with a realtor. She was gonna list it, but then she said, well, wait, I might be able to expedite this. She called me up. I walked the property, offered 165 on it. Got the offer accepted um, it had a main house and which was a three two and then this little like studio which really had been used as a warehouse uh, for the last twenty years and I decided, hey let's turn this into a two bedroom. It was big enough to turn into a two bedroom and have two uh properties on it. so we put fifty five thousand into the rehab and we burr the property if you don't know what a burr is, uh, it means buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat essentially you can put all this money into a property and then add value and then refinance it and the ability to be able to get all your money back if you do the numbers right. And that's what I did on this one. So I put $220,000 into the deal with other people's money. Plus furniture was about another $20,000. So call it $40,000. So I'm all in at 240. I refinanced and that was at 315 and I got 75%. I can't remember because this was two years ago times 0.75. What are the numbers on that? So I got 236 back. So I literally was $4,000 of my own money into this deal and mm-hmm. had uh, a tenant in the main house. And then I did the, the little studio that we turned into a 2-1 into an Airbnb. If I had had that as a regular rental, it would be doing about $800 to $900 a month. The first month on Airbnb, I grossed over $3,000 with that property, with that with that little 2-1. Little and so, uh, overall, my net was supposed to be as a long term rental, $600 a month. As a short term rental with both properties, I was netting over $2,000 my first month. And that was all I needed to know to say, I want to do that again.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'm super thankful that you say the term netting instead of talking about gross or cash flow, because I think cash flow and gross are great. But I think as entrepreneurs, especially when we're talking about lifestyle businesses like short term rentals, uh, that really allow people to enhance their lifestyle and kind of step away from a nine to five or yeah. whatever type of nightmare that they are they catch themselves in. Um, you know, the net is really important. Like after costs, after your mortgage, after everything, like after you pay the housekeeping team or whatever the, the situation is, like that's the real number that I like to know. So I'm glad you said that. Um, so you saw that go through, I'm curious to hear on kind of how your implementation was when it came to like smart locks. did you like did you do smart locks right at the gate? did you have like in-person check-in? was your guidebook, you know, a, a piece of paper that was laminated and a binder? like what was what what did it look like when you first? Yeah,
1: uh, got no, it? I, all, all the wrong things in the beginning. I don't think we started using uh, keyless entries until property number seven. Okay. <laughs> like I, I had keys and a and a and a lock box, um, yeah. and you know you, you have enough people that walk away from the property with the key in their pocket by accident, and it, for that to happen, and now you're like, okay, I can, I need to fix this. Um, I think we had a guidebook, a physical guidebook there.
0: Speaking of guidebooks, you can actually go to our friends at Hostfully.com and check them out. Use code Slick twenty. And we'll make sure that you get a sick deal for those amazing digital guidebooks. No more printed, laminated binder guidebooks that get ruined and are gross and eventually just need to be replaced. So get with hostfully.com, use code slicktalk 20 three months of a digital guidebook for your property. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode.
1: I just was figuring it out, you know, like I, I had no idea. I bought a course which was great. Um, and that course also taught me how to arbitrage. That was my next step. Um, but I mean, you know, just from an operation standpoint, and that that's the the thing I, I talk about a lot with my students is you get so many people that want to have everything perfect before they open up their first operation. And mm-hmm. that's not what it's about. It's, it's literally just about getting the dang thing done, you know, ready, fire, yeah. aim. And if you can do that, you can figure out what works, what doesn't work, what is a, a great path and what's not so great, then you can, you can make those decisions and learn from that. And yes, I really wish I would have had a, a better mentor, a better coach to show me like, Hey, get a keyless entry, you know, padlock right from the get go. I wish I would have had that, but I didn't, but I figured it out. And I, I don't think it held me back too much from, from, you know, moving and scaling my business.
0: Yeah. And say, uh, being at 65 properties now, I don't think that really slowed you down very much. Um, cause yeah, I think I told you when we were talking, it's like I only learned about keyless entry because it was a problem for me as a hotel manager. When I thought about if you remove the front desk, like who's going to check anybody in, you can't, they can't make their own keys. Right. So it's gotta be like a keypad. Um, and so for, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And now I want to know, so you talked about arbitrage, Versus co-hosting versus owning. Do you have a mix of all three in your in your portfolio, or are you sticking with two? Because um, I also read in your bio that you really didn't take this you know short-term rental Airbnb business serious until about 2019. Um, and now, you know, obviously we all know what happened in 2020. So I'm kind of curious to mm-hmm. walk us through that journey of your your portfolio mix and just like once things really started having a, a huge tra- uh, trajectory for you. Yeah, well I'll I'll reverse engineer it for you. So start with
1: what yeah. it looks like now. Um we have I want to I want to say if we're going to be completely accurate, I want to say we're like 67, 68 properties. Um okay. so let's just round it up to 70 um and call 10 we just got rid of two arbitrages and added five. I'm at like 10 arbitrages. Um eight doors that I own and so what does that leave about 52 for uh for co-hosting. Right around there, that's, that's about the as close as I can get for the numbers right now. Um, I started off, I owned the first one, and then I started Googling, hey, how can I do that again? Found out about the arbitrage model and was like, whoa, wait, wait, this sounds too good to be true. Literally picked up the phone, called Airbnb and said, hey, um, do I need a deed to like, put the house on Airbnb? No, you don't need that. So I could list someone else's house. Yeah, you can do that, okay. How many listings will you let me have as many as you want? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. (laughs) So, uh, once I heard that, I was like, yes, to arbitrage went and got a one bedroom, one bath arbitrage apartment here in Fresno, um, saw it worked, And the funny thing to me, Will, was I still, even with that, I was like, nah, I still want to own because I had gotten so deep into real estate the The benefit of owning an asset was just so ingrained into my mind, and it still is the most beneficial. But what I didn't measure at that time was, what is the goal? The goal was to replace a full-time income, and all I needed was about six or seven thousand dollars a month to do that. So I bought I had a little bit of cash. I bought two properties right after that. So I had four now, one arbitrage, three owned. but I wasn't at six to seven thousand dollars a month. I was close. But now I was out of cash and I was like, I'm almost at my goal. So I, I guess this really does make sense. I guess I do need to arbitrage more. So I was kind of forced into going back to the arbitrage model. Got another two apartments. Was able to get to that seven to $8,000 a month now. with six properties. And I reached that goal and I was like, cool, I'm good. But here was the thing, man, is that like, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to tell anyone about the goal yeah. that I had. You know, I... I had all these guys around me who own 40 rentals and were bragging about making $5,000 of passive income with 40 rentals. And I was like, I'm doing that with like five Airbnb. Yeah. Like, Noth- yeah. So I didn't want to tell anyone. And then, um, I was at a meetup group <clears throat> and this guy who was leading the meetup group, making millions of dollars a year. He said, you know, you got to have an abundance mindset. You got to be telling people everything you're doing. If you don't tell everyone what you're doing, you don't have a business and you need to expect nothing in return. And just Trust the process and it'll return tenfold if you just go out and give value for free. And, you know, all the the voices inside, right? No, that's just for him. That just sounds good. He's just saying that he just wants more deals. That's why he wants people bringing him deals. And one day I was just like, maybe I need to do that. So I did. I started talking about my podcast that opened up the stream to be able to start doing coaching. Never thought I'd be doing that. And then people in my town who were listening to my podcast and watching my YouTube channel were like, hey, if I give you a short-term rental, if I give you a house, will you manage it for me and just charge me a percentage? And I was like, well, I don't think that that's a thing, but I'll, I'll take a look. And I did the numbers. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can make a $1,000. They can make a $1,000. I've got no money involved in this. This sounds pretty cool. And uh, at that point, that was February of 2020. So we got two co-hosting deals ready to take on the world. And then COVID hit. Well, we took about half of our Airbnb's, put them as long-term rentals, month-to-month rentals during COVID because we were just scared that yeah. you know, we were going to have no occupancy. Um, but the four that we kept on were killing it still, ninety percent occupancy with great rates. And I was like, "What's what's going on here?" And and yeah, abundance mindset, right? I had to, I had to stick to that that new mindset that I had developed. And needed to tell people like, yeah, it's still going really well. And with the fear again, still being, well, what if they go and buy properties and do it? And now I'm going to be saturated. Well, what ended up happening was everyone and their mom who was like, if COVID, if, if short-term rentals survive COVID, then it'll survive anything. And within four months, we added 18 properties. Right there with other people's properties. So literally went from you know having a full-time income replaced to life-changing income, what felt like overnight. And now yeah. uh, today, the majority since then, the the forty that we've added since then have mainly
0: been uh, co-hosting with a splash of arbitrage and ownership as well. It's, it's incredible. I love I love the story and I love how it just kind of naturally falls into place for you as you're like, oh, I don't think that's the thing. I'm going to Google it, find out it's the thing. You're like, all right, this is let's let's keep going. Um, and I want to talk about like the abundance mindset part really quick because like obviously you you have the title Fearless Kyle, Fearless Investor. Um where so where was this fearless part come in? And and how do you cause like as you're hearing this abundance mindset part, you even said like the fear of like, oh, he's just saying that he wants deals. There's no way it's actually working. Like what? What did you have to do in order to actually turn that switch on to actually work and have that fearless, abundant mindset um, outside of just being like, oh, I replaced my income? Like To me, that's actually even, that's been the most scary thing, right? Like when I gave up my hotel management job to go into entrepreneurship for the first time fully, mm-hmm. that was even more scary <clears throat> than, than, than imagining being at my, my job for another three or five years Yeah, in a lot of ways yeah well, you know it's so the the the
1: way that we started the fearless investor, it started out as fearless flipping, mm-hmm. and growing up my my mom, one of the themes that she had was you know have the the heart of a lion, but the the caring, the kindness, the gentleness of a lamb. And so I was thinking to myself, well, you know, investing like that's that's the the heart of the lion right there. So I was like, what's a good word that goes with a lion? And if you're able to see on my video right now, right behind my, my left shoulder, yeah. here, you can see kind of the, the lion out of the house there. Um, <clears throat> fear, like fearless, like, yeah, lions are fearless. And, you know, the alliteration of flipping, I was like, yeah, fearless flipping, that sounds awesome. And then when I just realized, hey, I'm not really flipping anymore, so what am I really doing? I'm just working on being the best investor I can on a daily basis, so that's why we turned it over to that. But I think the important thing to know is that fear is always going to be there. It's what you do with the fear. Um, so one of my favorite quotes is fear will push you until vision pulls you. So most of the time fear pushes us to a certain extent, right? Like we're afraid that we're going to get kicked out of our house. So we pay the rent. Right. But then we don't even have enough money to, you know, go on the vacation, so at that point, what's why don't we have the money to go on the vacations? Because we don't have a vision that's pulling us in that direction. We only have enough fear to take care of the things that mean the most to us just so we can keep the lights on. So so I think, and I and I talk to people on a daily basis, the fear that they have of making the wrong move or bringing someone in and promising them something like, you know, it's so easy in Airbnb, right? Like I think Mr. and Mrs. Owner that if I coast for you, I'll make you this amount of money, but I'm too scared to actually even promise that to you. So I'm just not going to pursue it at all. I think that comes from a place of not knowing what you even want, where your vision Mm -hmm. is going. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more of just, it it starts as fear, but it it really depends on what you're going to be doing with that fear from there. Um, what was the second part of your question?
0: Basically, the overcoming of that mindset for you into you know abundance mindset and just covering you know obviously i think there's a lot i I like what you just said because a lot of times i i forget if it's a quote by someone pretty famous and popular but pretty much saying like whenever with every action there's a reaction right so fear would be the action and the reaction on how we handle that fear is going to be the outcome of you know our our situation whether it's business life personal whatever yeah. um yeah so
1: that, that opposite or or equal reaction right like we're either going yeah, yeah. to match the fear and let it take over us or we're going to do the exact opposite and let it uh motivate us right for sure uh, 100% well the biggest thing for me goes back to like what you asked me Um, you know, can you, can you, you know, really go back and say like, Hey, if, if an entrepreneur was right in front of you and had the answers that you would take their advice and not, you know, go and try to learn it the hard way. Um, I think I was mature enough at that age. I was 31, 32 years old to say, Hey, whatever I've been doing, it hasn't been working. So this guy in front of me, who's only about five years older than me and is making millions of dollars every year, he's probably figured something out. Maybe it's time for me to start listening. And no matter how uncomfortable it felt, no matter how like fearful I was, I was just like, man, if 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 this if it's working for this guy and he truly says, just do it. Don't expect anything returned, and it'll naturally come back tenfold. I just got to trust that process. Uh, And the other part of it too was it wasn't just him; it was other successful people in that room, and also within this tight knit community of. Uh, real estate investors here in the central valley they all agreed they all said every time that i had gone out there and didn't ask for anything in return i was blown away with what happened And so i i had i had enough positive reviews of what i was about to try to to really give it a shot and so um it was just kind of honestly i would say it was it was just trying enough on my own to now say hey my way is not working i got to try someone else's way
0: for sure and I want to bring up a conversation. This is a little bit more on the personal level. So please let me know if you want me to scratch this out. But uh, we had this conversation in Nashville because you recently got married. Yep. Beautiful wife, Gracie. Love her to death as well as uh, got to meet you guys both in Nashville. Just had a great time. How did this all apply to now your personal relationships when it comes to like mm. getting into now like a marriage, like going from completely being single, business oriented so then boom, I'm going to focus on starting a family, you know, having a partner, all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: man, I can go so many different ways with this. I, I think. Cause we had a the chat people, about this. I remember this at yeah. the Jason Aldean's roof bar. Like we were talking a little bit about like the shift of like, dude, I had to like step back for a second. There was a, there was a moment, right? Like, and, uh, I, you know, I, as a single man, you know, I'm not in that position. I I'm full yeah. focus, you know, know steam ahead so hearing that i was like something i i actually you know still think about like damn like yeah it was well it was a a good conversation
1: we also had a couple drinks that night so i may not be able to (laughs) say it (laughs) word for word but i mean it if if i'm if i'm thinking about the same conversation i think the big thing for me was i i thought i needed to have everything in my life in a line before i actually met or or dedicated you know my life to someone else Um, and, and what I found out is that like, you're never going to be the best version of yourself. And if you do, you know, you're, you, you've never reached where you want to go anyway. So if, if you're not always trying to get better, like, I I think I just always was thinking to myself, I, there's going to be a better version of me. So for that reason, like, I don't know that I'm ready to settle down. And, and then when I finally was just like one day, like, Hey, like, this has just been an excuse. This has been just fear. This has been me not thinking that I'm good enough for someone else. And it comes down to the fact that like you just, if, when you find the right person that understands your flaws, accepts your flaws, and is going to, you know, work through those together with you and, and accepts their own flaws too. Like that's that's the the beautiful thing. And I think that's the biggest thing too, if you're going to connect it with, you know, being an entrepreneur is that you're never going to have everything figured out before you go and start that business. You're going to figure it out along the way. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to even get the advice that is the right advice that you're going to ignore or that you are going to do it. You're just not going to do it the same way that, that it was advised to you. And you're going to still make those, those mistakes, but it's, it's the fact that you just, you just do it and you accept you accept that you're never going to arrive. So if you're waiting to arrive at a certain point, it's just never gonna get there. Um and and I think that was I don't know, was, was that was that kind of the the yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I
0: thought that's what yeah. we talked about. Yeah. Right on the money. Yeah, we may have had a few drinks, but it's still something I remember <laughs> uh, clearly uh sober and non-sober. Um yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious because you said, you know, that 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 thought of like I'm not good enough you know for this person i can't be accepted for my flaws like i'm never ready for that that you know uh, kind of vulnerability do you think that's like embedded in us through social media and the way that current like state of social you know society is or is there something that like usually gets embedded in us in that like growing up or what do you what do you think that really stems from i think you
1: make a good point just in regards to social media and i think that that's something that probably impacts people today that it would not have impacted them 20 years ago 30 years ago but i think as entrepreneurs that's kind of ingrained in us because we're always trying to be the best and when you're trying to be the best you're always in this comparison game just naturally you know like i i can tell you anytime i've gone out and played a sport that is an individual sport i'm hard on myself but because i'm not i'm not letting anyone down i'm not a part of a team right? Like if I just go and shoot some hoops on my own, if I go play around a golf on my own, I can get mad at myself and be competitive with myself. But as soon as I get on a baseball field and I get that ball hit to me and I miss it, I feel like I just let everyone down. And now it's like the pressure I put on myself plus the imaginary pressure that I'm now putting on myself from nine different people who are staring me on the field plus all the people in the stands, right? And so- I think that transfers over to entrepreneurship is just there's eyes always on you. And especially like, right, if you have a podcast like like we do, there's you know, I just had I just had a scammer that has taken over like my, yeah. my life on social media. And the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, my gosh, if he gets in other people's DMs, what are people going to think of me because they think that's me? Like th- mm-hmm. those are the those are the fears and the the pressure that we put on ourselves because we always want to be at our best. We've worked so hard to be at our best for something to come a- along and derail us. Um, but I also think that that's part of what makes entrepreneurs really good is because we never we never do get to that point of like yeah if that's enough. But but I love what Ed Milet talks about with the, which is you know blissful dissatisfaction and that is yes you can. Absolutely, keep on chasing the next thing, but you have to find time to celebrate what you've accomplished. Um, Right after COVID, and and you know, getting that life changing four months where I literally went from eight thousand dollars a month to over twenty five thousand dollars a month. I just remember being at that time and saying, like, I'm working three hours on my business per week. My team is taken care of. My team's making more money than they ever have in their life. Our owners are happy, and wow, like this is really cool. I'm, I'm sitting here on a Monday driving around town, tooling my thumbs, not knowing what to do next because, I'm, because I've, I've done something really cool and I've gotten to financial freedom. But I also said to myself, I better enjoy this now because I know that something's going to happen in a month that's either going to grab my attention because I'm like, I want that, or I'm going to have to solve a problem that I don't currently have right now. And, and, you know, that's all we do as entrepreneurs, we just solve problems. Right. And so if we're always solving problems, then those are the things that also are on our mind before we go to bed and on our mind, as soon as we wake up and we have to find a way to, I don't like to use the word control, but, um, just, um, you know, manage those things so that, so that we can still have balance, um, and to the best of our ability. I think it's really difficult to have balance, but I I think I'm doing about as good of
0: a job as I can hey if you uh, are separating a personal phone and a business phone that's more balanced than I could say most of us probably have because sure. that phone if it goes off it's it's like it's i you never know it's like roulette for my phone so i I think that's really really important like you said and I like the blissful uh what do you call it the blissful dissatisfaction uh, disfa- dissatisfaction so if you had to sum up everything you know you, let's say you know seventy properties you're doing coaching you got a youtube channel that's really successful and really well put together by the way. Um to then also your podcast. What is is there an end goal for you as an entrepreneur? Do you have a certain kind of like Thanos moment like ah oh, I could finally rest and I can watch the the fields and, and and look out at my creation or my my work and, and feel satisfied and, and restful inside internally. Uh what what would you say that would be?
1: Yeah I I think it's a nice theory. Right, like we we say we're we're working for something so that one day we can rest. But I really like how uh, Tim Ferriss puts it in the Four Hour Work Week that like we have these quarterly or we have these these times that we set aside for just enjoyment and just having fun with the the vacation on a regular basis, so that we're re- refreshed to be able to go out there and continue. Because I don't really know that like one one thing i recognize about myself is i do everything full on if i am if i'm working i'm not doing anything else you can't distract me from that if you do you're only going to get 10% of my attention uh, and then if i'm binge watching tv it's going to probably happen for 8 hours that day like yeah. <laughs> there's there's no part of me that's going to go over to that office and start working like that and so i find satisfaction in those moments of like okay saturday and sunday we're going to do this i'm i'm going to hawaii you know for 10 days with my wife in september and i'm not going to i might touch work you know for an hour you know monday through friday on those days um and so so it's it's those moments for me that it's like yeah that that's what fills my cup but i'm still really hungry to go back and and do the things and to feel progress they they say there's two things that people really get the most motivated by uh, one is being a part of something bigger than yourself and two is growth. So if I'm, and I think that's a one to me, that's the number one reason why people typically pass away so quickly after retirement, um, is because they, yeah. they were a part of something now they're not. And, and they were growing, they were seeing progress in their work and that's what they identi- identified with. And now it's like the only thing that they're really trying to progress in is golf. And then they hurt their back and they're like, well, now I can't even progress in golf. Right. You know, so. Yeah. So that's, to me, like, I, I don't really want to stop. I don't really want there to be a destination. I just want there to be those, those moments that I can allow myself to enjoy what I've done and give myself the, uh, the permission to, to relax.
0: Yeah, it's all about the journey, not the destination. I like it. Yes. Um, you did send over some awesome social media links and places for people to check you out. But if you had one link that anyone listening or watching this video could go to, what would it be?
1: Uh, just my website, fearlesskyle.com. You'll get taken to all of my stuff from there. Um, and, and I mean, from the podcast, the YouTube channel, the, the Facebook page, the, the Instagram, it's all, it's all linked right there. So I just started fearlesskyle.com.
0: Perfect. Well, uh, Kyle, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me on the podcast. Uh, again, already felt close to you as a friend. Now I feel even closer, uh, you know, just through this conversation and, getting to hear insight. I think you, you know, if anyone listened to this and didn't get any value from it, I'd be su- super surprised. Um, but just want to say like, just really appreciative of your, your time and your friendship and what you're doing in the industry. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, I appreciate what you're doing for the industry too, man. It's uh, it's awesome to see you growing and, and, uh,
0: providing so much value for everyone. 1% a day is what they say. I think, you know, 1%, 1% a day, that's all we need. So, uh, I love it. Um, You heard it here first, Slick Talkers. Go ahead, check out everything in the show notes. Make sure that you follow, like, and subscribe to everything. Fearless Kyle, Fearless Investor, and we'll see you all again next week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, possible. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on SlickTalkThePodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. I also want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors at safely.com. If you haven't checked out safely.com, then you need to short term rentals are no asset class untouched by parties and damage and just incidents that are out of our control. Especially if you're a remote or a host that just has so many properties and doesn't even know where to begin. So go to safely.com, check them out. They have amazing insurance plans that help protect you, your owners and your guests. So, if anything gets damaged, guess what? Safely has got your back. Check them out safely.com. Let them know that Will Slicker sent you with Slick Talk, and they'll get you all taken care of.